I'm joined now by Luca Parry from The Learning Future. Great to be back with you, Cameron. Now, you've been working with ASIL and with the Australian Learning Lecture on the Future School project. Can we just get a quick summary? What What is Future School? Well, this is some wonderful work that has been led by Valerie Hannan and Julie Templey and, and has been backed by the amazing work of the Australian Learning Lecture and Ellen Koshlin, who's just such a generous, and I'd say, um, quite inspiring change maker in our in our education world, and so the question here is, you know, what are the learning design principles that we need for schools? And so there's there's a great book which I recommend called Future School, which was co-authored by Valerie and Julie, and in it they detail a range of different schools that are, you know, have components of what we might want to be the learning experience in the future for our young people, and really critically for the adults that of course facilitating, guiding, instructing the young people. And so it really breaks down these design principles into three clusters. And the first is this idea of values, like what are the values that that future schools hold? And again, there are many examples of future schools around Australia, around the world. But, you know, the ones that these these principles are pretty universal, things like they're purpose-driven, they're equity-focused, they promote identity, they're strength-based, and they're relevant. I mean, if those are kind of underpinning values that would represent any future school, the operational philosophy, again, only four pieces here, they're learning focused. That's the most important part. Learning is at the heart. And of course, there's the learning sciences that underpin that. You know, they're flexible and dynamic. So they're not rigid. You know, so they evolve to the needs of the learners, uh, especially with disruption. Technology is enhanced. They're technology enhanced. I like the way that, that Valerie and Julie frame this. They're technology enhanced. So... It's they use technology extensively, but also responsibly. And why do they use it? To liberate learning. Not just because it looks flash or it's the latest thing on the block. It's actually, it's, a, it's based in a learning question. Um, and, you know, of course, in, in different modalities, which of course is the future of learning in all forces as we go into VR and XR and AR and everything else. And the ecosystemic. So, you know, a school is quite porous. Uh, you know, it taps into the community and what's actually happening there. And, and the last cluster is the lived experience. So what's the learner experience? What's actually happening? Well, it's a personalized experience. So you feel like you're seen, heard, and valued. And then, you know, they're integrated, they're inclusive, they're relational, and they're empowering. And so those three clusters of values, operational philosophy, and learner experience, and the principles that are part of them is something that I think is some wonderful synthesis work that that Valerie and Julie have done here as part of that, that Australian Learning Lecture project. One of the things I know that you've been doing with ASIL is you helped come up with the framework for identifying and selecting the future schools that are going to be participating in this program. How do you go about identifying a, a representative school? What are you looking for in their current practice? Well, the simple answer is evidence of those principles being lived out, I would say. And again, this is something that the, that the ACL team did really well, because all schools are doing wonderful work in part, you know, like there's wonderful practice happening everywhere. It's just not happening in every single moment, right, in every setting. And so, you know, the three schools who are actually phenomenal um, schools and, and great leaders, and again, I think this is the other point I would make really clearly here, you know, this is why we must, must invest in our education leaders, because Without education leadership, we don't get anywhere near uh, a high-quality school. We don't get the outcomes that we want. So, 
you know, leadership is so critical and the evolving nature of leadership as well now to have to function within an ecosystem, um, I think is something that we need to, again, really understand. So, so this idea was, you know, we asked these schools, well, what practice, what evidence could you provide against some of these practices that, that Valerie Hannon has identified as part of the all work? And they all put in their submissions and there were some fantastic submissions from all over the country. And of course, we ended up with a, with a manual college from WA, you know, a Catholic school. We had Catherine, um, Catherine High School as well that, you know, we're talking about their work. And they had Warakiri College, which is an alternative school with five sites across Western Sydney serving young people for whom school wasn't positive and didn't support their learning. And so, again, very different contexts. And why I love that so much, Cameron, is because it shows that these principles actually apply everywhere. Yeah, if a learning experience is personalized and integrated, inclusive, if it's relational and you feel empowered through it, well, that's going to be, that, that can be anywhere. That can be any school in the world. And so this applies to even the kind of competitive elite high achievement schools, you know, in some ways they're in a more difficult position because we've kind of been, they're, they're in this marketplace now where success is seen as just the academic achievement. So broadening that out is kind of the journey that many of, the, of those organizations are on. Um, but paying attention to these design principles is key. And I mean, the other question, the other thing I'd end with Cameron is just need to walk into a classroom and ask young people what they want. And this idea of intergenerational leadership and co-design and co-ownership. You know, how do we increase agency? Well, we, we change the way that processes happen, camera, you know, whatever it is. So I, I think that's been the journey that we're on. Uh, it's the journey that all schools are on. The future's already here. It's just not evenly distributed. And so how might we support ourselves and each other, our colleagues, um, you know, to be able to do this work? So when you talk about values promoting identity, what does that actually mean in, in terms of how we support and engage young people in schools, especially, as you say, on their path towards being adults? My question is that we have to overcome the tyranny of cognitive obsession, as a friend of mine, Dr. Jean Clinton, would, would say, because we have this idea that what we think, it's, it's, it's the idea that matters most. All of us that live in the real world, right, know that's not true. The idea without embodiment, without action, without social connection doesn't matter. And so this side promoting identity means who are we, what might we be able to do, and what do we need to know? And it's coming from that, in almost in that, as a, that level of importance. Who are we, what can we do, and what do we need to know? And so that's kind of flipping the knowledge, um, the kind of knowledge economy where we think that knowledge is all we need. No, no, we need to know that we're seen and that we're heard and that we're psychologically safe and the entire piece of work around that and metacognition. Are we thinking about our own thinking? But so, so that's what I mean about promoting identity. You know, what's each learner's social and cultural identity? How do we make sure that everyone that walks into a, a workplace, let alone a school, feels that they belong and feels like this is their place? And, you know, there's all this research as well about belonging. And when we feel that we don't belong, well, we're not going to be doing our best work. We're not going to be getting our best out, you know, achievement data either. So that's just one of the aspects on values. In my, you know, anecdotal experience and conversations, a lot of the time these kind of reforms, especially when we start talking about things like student identity and the role of well-being in the curriculum, it is often something that is talked about as being a support for disadvantaged schools. So can I just ask you to, to reflect a bit on 
what do you think it brings to schools that are already reasonably, uh, if not high achieving, but already reasonably advantaged cohorts that people often say, oh, that's not for us. We don't need it. You know, mm. and what advantages does this way of thinking bring to those kind of schools? I guess the great question, Cameron, I think the question before that is, do you think the world's changing? If your answer is no, then uh, there's probably not much more I can say to try to shift your mind on that. I mean, I just mm. think it's, I, I, if you look around, you can provide the data sets, you can, you can look at the shaping future of work. And I think this is why the industry piece is really powerful because you, you go and talk to the big four, EY, KPMG, PwC, you know, you chat to them and they'll say, oh, look, we, this is the kind of graduates we want. And what we're seeing is this almost this really significant decoupling between the supply and the demand sides of an education or learning ecosystem, right? And so, so that's one way to do it. It's like, well, the future of work is going to be increasingly collaborative problem solving. It's going to be capability-based. And yes, the technical skill will be required, but actually that will be developed on the job, right? The World Economic Forum talks about you know, one and a half days of your work week by 2026 being on learning and reskilling. I mean, that's kind of revolution. You know, we're thinking about what? And it's just constant mm. learning. The future of work is learning and earning simultaneously, right? So go on, this rocket model of, oh, I went to a good school, I did my undergraduate and then my postgrad and I'm done. No, no, that's not, that's not how it's... Now I cruise you know, for 40 the, years till retirement. That cruise, yeah. yeah, in the same role. No, no, no. Mm. Foundation for Young Australians put out amazing reports about this, you know, the new work order, you know, 17 jobs in five industries, this idea of a career web, not a career ladder anymore. And young people are very tapped into this. They, they know that they are content creators and there is a personal brand that's kind of part of the modern economy now. So I guess that's, like, my first question is, is the world changing? And I would say yes, in profound ways. We haven't even got to the Web 3.0 conversation. That's a whole other thing. We just park perhaps on the shelf. But um, so, so I guess the thing there is you know, mental health in particular, it's just that's, that's not a social and economic phenomenon. That's happening everywhere. Mm. In fact, some of the data might bear out that in our highest performing schools academically, there's even more pressure, performance anxiety, you know, and you've got so, so, many, so much psychologists that have to be put in place. So I, I think clearly we need a bit of a rethink and a repurposing um, because I, and, and that's towards a liberating system, liberating for the educators, liberating for the learners, and I think it, it means shifting the narrative, shifting the big narrative for what education systems are for. The improvement paradigm has gotten us so far. I really believe we need a transformation paradigm now. And it's why I'm so curious about the futures literacies like scenario planning, strategic foresight, horizon thinking, because I think that helps us sever the connection that we have to the past, but also realize that we're going to be called upon to, to self-transform continually, constantly mm. reskilling, constantly relearning, and being augmented by technology the entire way. AI, machine learning, as Oxford Humanity, Humanity of the Future Institute would, um, would talk about, it's, it's going to just, it is absolutely revolutionizing our world around us. It's going to be as profound as electricity was to our social environments. This is the shift, again, from the, a single institution to the idea of a local learning ecosystem or even a global learning ecosystem, ones in which you've got to learn a passport, you know, in 2040, which takes you everywhere around the world and you have there your verifiable credentials and your skill sets. And many of them, Cameron, I would say, 
are going to be social and emotional. They're not just going to be technical and academic knowledge, which is critical, but not sufficient. And so that's, I think, a big thing that looking at design principles, looking at schools around the world, as Valerie Hannon and Julie Temperley did for this book as part of the All Work, I think it's just such a powerful piece. And as you'll hear from these three very different schools, you know, they're doing wonderful things. And what's universal? They're being bold. They're being courageous in taking that forward. It really is the demonstration of leadership, I would say, from these wonderful examples.